Hi everyone and welcome to Opera Omnia. This is season three, episode 11. That's right, the final episode in our season run looking at the Fincher filmography. We are closing out this season with his up to the point of which we're recording this, which is in January 2022, his final movie release. He's obviously working on loads just now with Netflix, who are actually behind the financing of the particular project we're about to discuss. But uh, well, yeah, we're concluding on Mank. Joining me, as he has done for this entire season, uh, is the phenomenal Bo Ramsdell. How's it going, Bo? Phenomenally. <laughs> uh, no, really well. I'm it, this is really bittersweet because I love having these conversations mm -hmm. with you about David Fincher movies. And I feel like we have some landmark conversations in the mix. I, yeah. I, I think the stuff about <laughs> Panic Room Sun. Panic uh, Room Sun? That movie, I, I think, was a revelation mm -hmm. uh, for you more than oh, for yeah. me. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, this has just been a, a genuine great time because even, the, even Benjamin Button... <laughs> led to a conversation i really enjoyed you know so it's it, it yeah it's like i said it's very bittersweet i hate wrapping up a season with you because it means that i've got to you know go stare at the walls for a while <laughs> wait wait for someone else to activate me like the manchurian candidate by asking me onto a podcast well the beauty of this is fincher's not stop making movies and as and when he now makes movies moving forward uh, there are addendums to season three, so we we will be back doing this again. Apparently, sooner than either of us thought. Um, the word on the street, Bo, the kids, the kids are chatting. Smoke on the street, yeah. Yeah, um, that he might have a film out like within the next year. So I'll believe it when I see it, because I don't know if people know this. Fincher doesn't rush anything, like at all, even a little bit. But uh, you, you mean not including this sloppy ass mink we're about to talk <laughs> about that has no technical prowess behind it at all? Zero. In fact, I was, I was, you know, for a second, I wondered if I was even watching a Fincher film at all. Um, but yeah, <laughs> like, so we will have these things moving forward. And of course, Bo, we would be remiss to not mention that we do podcast together on another show called Duncan and Bo Come Correct that people out there should be checking out even if, and we would encourage you not to, even if you're not watching the the, the slasher TV show which uh, we're about to enter its fourth season um, some people would argue this is the the frosting on top of the muffin bowl um, because we've all, mm -hmm. we've pretty much suffered through three seasons to reach this pristine landmark uh, series of television which is season four which i have yet to watch the first episode of but you were telling me off here you have watched the first episode and what you mm -hmm. told me was uh that it was phenomenal and um you you we, tears of joy at the end of that first episode and the journey has been completely worth it yeah that well, i think my exact words were get your hopes up <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> no matter no matter how much season four of slasher has been hyped for you nothing can spoil it mm. it is just uh much like schindler's list <laughs> a perfect good 
<laughs> I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to the experience and a recording of it, which uh, this episode will drop just before we we uh, we, we launch um, our live stream of us uh, covering that. But yeah, like you mentioned, this is this is kind of bittersweet. This is us reaching the end. And if you were gonna put like a, if you're gonna put a bow on this series, <laughs> bow, uh, I mean, what better way? To, to do it than um, to have a conversation about a dramatised version of the events behind arguably one of the greatest movies ever made, uh, that being Citizen Kane. So, um, mm-hmm. which I did take your advice. I hadn't watched it in many years and uh, I watched it um, three nights ago. Um, and yeah, that boy, does that movie just like hold a giant mirror up to where we are right now. Uh, like, Man, it... It's eerie that a movie that is, you know, 70-ish, almost 80 years yeah, old, yeah. Um, that when you watch that movie, it's like, oh, we haven't learned a damn thing. No, this nothing is... at all. <laughs> like, we've progressed, not a jot. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, but, a what a, but what a brilliant movie. Like, it's still, I find at least, you know, your mileage may vary. I, I was reading <laughs> I was reading reviews on Letterboxd of Citizen K because I rewatched it again as well. Mm-hmm. And Letterboxd is you know just the dregs of society it's a hive of scum and villainy oh yeah it's most icely yeah definitely <laughs> and <laughs> as i was reading through there there were people who were like eh meh on citizen kane i'm like all right I, I understand there are people who don't necessarily enjoy film history mm. like there are plenty of people that don't want to hear about the cows they just want the steak right yeah, they yeah, don't yeah. want to know where it's come from mm-hmm. but something like citizen kane if you can at least recognize like, oh, this is a really interesting movie that has this very, a a narrative that hops around and they talk about it in Mank as well, but like, this is a movie that could easily be a confused mess. Mm -hmm. And instead it lands in this wonderful place where, you know, the, the characters are talking about like, well, maybe if we just knew what this one word meant, we would understand who, who Charles Foster (laughs) Kane was Mm -hmm. and, and saying, well, no, one word can't tell you everything about a man. You can only get pieces of it. Yeah. And and hopefully those pieces kind of, you know, form a jigsaw puzzle, uh, you know, much like the one built by uh, Charles Foster Kane's wife, that, mm-hmm. you know, the it is, it is a jigsaw puzzle missing a piece, and as we all, all our lives are. Yeah. Um, it's just a, a brilliant piece of, of writing, of filmmaking, of acting. It's just... You know, it's terrific. Yeah, and... it's, a, it's a completely different level. I think. I, I think once again, context is is key there. You d- look at what was coming out at the time. In fact, they they cover it really well in in the movie of Mank, like making direct reference to the fact that like by this point, the Universal monsters were kind of like eh. You know, we'd had ten yeah. years of it, and oh, it's, it's just on a completely different level. And you have a uh, you have Orson Welles, who, I mean is young like when he makes this movie like like scarily young to be making a movie of this caliber where he just essentially gets carte blanche to do whatever the fuck he wants which is interesting because that is kind of where fincher found himself in making this movie he had that netflix money bowl and see when you get that netflix money that netflix nut you get to do whatever you want uh, which is, should surprise no one that he essentially took on the the screenplay written by his late father and uh, brought it to the screen so mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so many parallels. I uh, I did the old deep dive because obviously um, it, it's relatively well documented about the the kind of backs and forths of Mankiewicz and Wells um, and the the fraught tension. Uh, which um, seemed to, to to really find ahead in the 70s after the release of that rather scathing article, which I think has been vastly debunked by now. Seems to be plenty of evidence that, you know, uh, uh, in terms of Wells didn't write the whole thing, Mankiewicz certainly didn't write the whole thing. Kind of co-writing credits probably make sense, but kind of sad at the same time to, to even at that kind of the final statement on the screen that you know when you see a movie like this and you see that combination of the two you just think well that's money and the two of them just never work together after that um so i I do i mean we'll again we'll talk about this in a minute but um that statement that mankiewicz makes uh when he's accepting the oh yeah 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 is is just deliciously catty yeah 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 i'd like i'd like the two the two the two statements his one's better but the the like uh well saying kiss my half instead of kiss my mm-hmm. ass i think is kind of funny as well um so yeah so um i mean we've really uh, to put things in the context as well we really mm-hmm. have went through like a, a massive gulf of work and all genres when it comes to David Fincher. And I, I think that's I think that's the bit that kind of got me excited originally on paper to select him as the, the next director for the series. I mean, the first series was Ibs Wheatley, who does certainly does a lot of different stuff, but I mean, always kind of exists within that kind of Ben Wheatley bubble. Um, looking at our, uh, our, our second season... I mean, once again, you've got a, a good mix with Strickland, but it is still very much of a... Well, he's heavily influenced by 70s European horror uh, or European exploitation. So those movies exist within this bubble, but we have covered everything from science fiction to kind of dystopian anarchy, serial killers, uh, people that age backwards and a kind of Forrest Gump-esque long drama um we've done thrillers chillers and a panic room son um to 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 end up here essentially doing like i said before a kind of um a a dramatized um almost kind of biographical piece of of a, a snapshot in the in the making of one of the most famous movies ever made so fincher really really kind of is one of these he's a very dangerous when you look at the like there's there's very few styles that hasn't been able to put his stamp on we've never had an out and out comedy from david fincher i don't think we ever will um but that's not to say that humor doesn't appear in these movies terror you know love fear atmosphere all these things are captured in his body of work and some people might think on some level that, you know, Mank is, you know, a bit of a, a vanity piece. And it, it certainly is. It's a labour of love for him, for sure. Um, but at the same time, it kind of strips away all the the things that on paper David Fincher's kind of known for, specifically in the colour scheme. Which, I mean, this movie's black and white. Um, mm-hmm. And you strip all that out, and there is a very much a kind of 
he, he leans in and uses a lot of the techniques used in the original shooting of Citizen Kane, which I kind of love. So he, he's kind of, he's flexing, but he's flexing different muscles. Um, and I think when we get to the movie review, I think what will be really interesting about uh, at the end is contextualising exactly where Mank fits in overall, because it's the... It's very much like Benjamin Button. It kind of feels like the one that stands out. Um, I'm not giving away anything here, but it does. You know, it feels very different against it, the rest of the filmography. Um, I saw this for the first time three nights ago and watched it just before we started recording on my second viewing. But you watched it last year, am I right? Yeah, I watched it not long after it came out. Uh, this is one of those cases, uh, rarely as it happens um where as soon as it came out i was like oh this is venture doing a kind of a riff on citizen kane mm -hmm. while also talking about citizen kane mm -hmm. and it just i mean it was too delicious to pass <laughs> up so i i got on it pretty quick and and really enjoyed it and then for this conversation i went back and watched both citizen kane because i hadn't watched citizen kane in a while when i watched uh mank the first time ah, yeah yeah yeah. And so watching it this time, I watched Citizen Kane first, then I watched Mank again, and and it was incredibly rewarding. Yeah. Like the 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 parallels between the movie and the structure of, of both of the movies and you know, the style that Fincher employs mm -hmm. and you know, it it's one of those things that, like Fincher is like a great diver in this movie. Yeah. Where he's like, Okay, let's raise the degree of difficulty in telling this story by emulating the way that the movie was made which is a way that movies have not been made for years and years, and years. yeah yeah and not just the black and white but even the shot selection there there's one shot in particular i mean again we'll get into all this in a minute but early on in the movie you just see these two like period style cars pulling up the driveway to the bungalow where Mank is going to, mm -hmm. you know, kind of convalesce and write this script. And I just couldn't help but think, like, I wonder how many times that shot <laughs> had to, like, how many takes was that shot? Yeah. For, you know, Fincher to be happy with the angle of the cars as they pulled in and the smoke behind, or the dust yeah. picked up behind them and all that stuff. And it was like, because it's just, it's a beautiful shot of something really simple. It, I mean, all it's doing is establishing location, but it's because David Fincher is kind of a genius. Mm -hmm. Not even kind of, he's just a genius. Um, he's hes probably kind of a savant, if, yeah. if you will. Yeah. You know, he's just a film savant. Um, that, you know, like there isn't a moment in this movie that does not, like all his movies, feel choreographed and staged just so and it's yeah it, it, it's I, I i do like the fact that we're ending with this one because it is a movie about movies yes and yeah. that feels right to conclude a conversation about fincher who's one of the best working directors today mm -hmm. and yeah and and it's clear like in all of this it like not only is there a love of movies in this, but there's a love of movie makers mm -hmm. in this film. Uh, whether it, I, I don't think he he's necessarily taking a side between Mank and Orson Welles, really. No, no, he does. It's surprisingly not. I I thought with the movie having the name that it did, it would definitely 
definitely choose a side. Um, I'm actually, to be honest with you, I'm quite glad that it doesn't. Um, I think with what's kind of been released or what's kind of known on that now, I think... And the weird thing about it was, like, if you read reviews of Mank, I think people forget on quite a few levels that it is... It's a, like, it's a, it's a drama. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's not a, it's not a documentary. And, you know, like, I was reading, like, pages and pages of people going, well, it was established here that, you know, Orson Welles worked on, you know, worked almost exclusively on the third draft of the script, changing this, condensing this and all the rest. And I was like, yeah, but that that's only fine if the movie is a documentary and it's saying that that didn't happen, that that becomes an argument. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's a very, 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 very strange way of approaching a movie like this. But I actually think what it does incredibly well is is handle this kind of this almost weirdly tragic redemption of of a character whilst at the end giving him the credit whilst also giving the credit elsewhere as well i think that's a very difficult thing to do and i think fincher manages surprising no one on this recording right now uh does it like with a great deal of tact and panache um to the point that when it finished, I was like, you know, that's 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 kind of excellent. And I don't know how much of that's in the original screenplay that his father wrote, but um, yeah, it you know, it's delivered really, 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 really well on screen, like really well. Yeah, yeah, it, it it's the work of a confident filmmaker. Oh to gosh, be sure. yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, even more than that, it's just. You know, it, it's it's the result of, of a filmmaker who is not just confident. He's an older guy who's yeah. thinking about, you know, movies and the industry he's in and, and what, you know, the history of that, the legacy of that. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, it's just, I mean, just tremendous work all around. It, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, when, when you think about, Venture starting with this terrible experience of Alien oh, 3 yeah. <laughs> and then being given full control to do a story like this. And also, one of the things that I was thinking about with this being a Netflix exclusive um, was that this was like the perfect home for it mm -hmm. or a streaming service like this because movies like this don't really get released into theaters anymore. Yeah, yeah. There's, I mean, I mean, they might have a run, but it's never going to be a run that is going to have the the same like like Fincher's name should pull in people regardless what the subject matter is. But let, let's be honest, that's just not how cinema works now. Um, mm -hmm. That this movie's the one that gets buried to one showing a night. Um, up against God knows what what other movie that's getting you know The Rock's got a new movie out and it's in seven screens playing every half an hour um, and that's just the the world we live in and I think you're right like I mean even it's not even by Fincher standards this is not a particularly long movie it's well, two hours twenty minutes which I mean that you might be thinking that's a long movie but what watch Benjamin Button so um, it's not a long movie uh, or Gone Girl was longer than this so you know it's it's not a particular long movie but I think this finds its crowd on Netflix quite comfortably 
um mm -hmm. and then you see the critical reaction to it and um yeah i think i think it's one of these things where i think Critics which are who are notoriously snobby, uh, as is the Academy for streaming sites, um, everyone kind of took to this relatively well and above. So, well, yeah, I mean, it's like the old Steve Martin line of you know, be so good that they can't deny you. Yeah, and I, I think that's the case here, where you just can't deny how impressive a movie this mm -hmm. is. You know. Um, uh yeah it, it i'm i'm it, it it's one of those things that's tough to talk about because you're really talking about two movies yeah you know yeah, you're, yeah. because you're you're talking about citizen kane as we said just you know one of those movies that feels incredibly ahead of its time mm -hmm. and and prescient but also kind of depressing because it's it's so relevant still um but also you're talking about someone looking at that movie and wanting to do like you said it's not a documentary it's almost uh, this weird fantasy yeah of of let's let's talk about how this movie got made but also look at the kind of person that mank was mm -hmm. or at least this character of mank and how he was you know this kind of gadfly among the the rich and famous and and sort of him becoming self-aware at a certain point yeah. and understanding where his place was, but willing to take some swings anyway. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, and, and before I forget to say it, Oh my God, how good is Charles dance in this? Movie? Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, um, like we never have issues with with Fincher casting, but that that is about as good as it gets. I mean, I, I would argue it's maybe one of the better casting choices made in a Fincher movie. He's fucking incredible. So um, yeah, <laughs> so I just like kind of because you'd warned me in advance. You'd been like, we would see Charles dance it's real fucking good, and I was like, yeah, all right, but I'll you know I'll, I'll check out based on your advice. I have to watch the movie anyway. And I'll keep a keen eye on this young upstart actor by the name of Charles Dance. And um, yeah, <laughs> like this whippersnapper, <laughs> like Charles oh, Dance. Pretty much from the first scene he was in, I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> Just like really, 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 really good. Um, and him making his second appearance in the, in the Opera Omnia camps here because he was in... Um, Happy New Year, Colin Bernstead, which was one of the, the Wheatley movies we covered, where he plays a drunk transvestite uncle, and he's fucking great in that. Um, so yeah, very eclectic actor. Um, Bo, I think we, we, we should do this. I know we're putting it off because we don't want this season to ever end, but uh, we're going to take a short break, and the listeners out there are going to hear the trailer from Mank, and when we return... Uh, we will be bringing it home a hard on this final Fincher review, uh, this being Mank, coming right up right after this. Mank, it's Orson Welles. Of course it is. I think it's time we talk. What is it the writer says? Tell the story you know. Hello, everyone. Make yourself to home, Mr. Mankowitz, or shall I call you Herman? Please, call me Mank. 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 This is Herman Mankowitz, but we're to call him Mank. Mankowitz? 
Herman Mankiewicz, New York playwright and drama critic, turned humble screenwriter, Mr. Hearst. This is a business where the buyer gets nothing for his money but a memory. What he bought still belongs to the man who sold it. That's the real magic of the movies. Thunder, lightning, blood, fire, religion. Help! Someone save me! All in one film. That's director proof. That's why I always want Mank around. I hear you're hunting dangerous game. God bless William Randolph Hearst. Ready and willing to hunt the great white whale? Just call me Ahab. Do come in. At this rate, you will never finish. You said 90 days. Well, said 60. I'm doing the best I can. I've put up with your suicidal drinking, your compulsive gambling, your silly platonic affairs. You owe me, Herman. Who do you think you are? You're nothing but a court jester. What I want to know is what you think of it. It's a bit of a jumble, the collection of fragments that leap around in time like Mexican jumping beans. Welcome to my mind, old sock. Him, I get. But what did Marion ever do to deserve it's this? It's not her. Not all characters are headliners. Some are secondary. You pick a fight with Willie. You are finished. Mayor can't save you. Nobody can. Especially the boy genius from New York. I removed any distraction, eliminated every excuse. Your family, your cronies, liquor. I gave you a second chance. You cannot capture a man's entire life in two hours. All you can hope is to leave the impression of what? Why Hurst? Outside his own blonde Betty Boop, you're always his favorite dinner partner. Are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinder's monkey? <laughs> and welcome back, ladies and gents. So you've just heard the trailer for Mank. Uh, this one was released in 2020, directed by David Fincher, based on the screenplay by his uh, sadly departed father, Jack Fincher. Um, the movie itself is the fucking who's who um, of acting and the creds just keep going on and on and on and on and on and on. But um, <laughs> Gary Oldman uh, playing the, the kind of lead role here. Uh, Amanda Seyfried, who we love. Bo, Twin Peaks. Yeah. For life, you'll... I, yeah, I mean, who would, who would have thought that we would have been revisiting her as a, you know, 40s ingenue, or actually 30s. It's, yeah. it's kind of the transition from the silent films to the talkies is is where she sits yeah but yeah terrific the thing is like you can kind of see without jumping in a huge lynch conversation straight away but you can see why lynch is so enamored with her to put her in that performance oh you god yeah she's great in this and yeah. she looks so much like an like without looking specifically specifically like a specific ad actress from yeah. the time looks so much like she belongs in the movies in you know yeah. the and, 1930s and yeah. 40s and, and, and an era that david lynch is fascinated by yes yes right. i agree <laughs> so it's like it's perfect casting um yeah we have a uh, lily collins we have arliss howard we have joseph cross we have charles dance who we've already mentioned tom burke turning in a kind of amazing performance as Orson Welles um mm -hmm. I, I did like he like they got the it's one of those ones where interesting enough like the factoids that you read about you know stuff just in general um as you you read up about um the, the fact that Gary Oldman wanted to wear like prosthetics to make him you know look more like Mankiewicz and uh, Fincher was like, no, <laughs> no, that's not what I will put on 
Like we'll do some makeup and all the rest, but we're not doing prosthetics and all the rest. Um, but they go like full on with, with Tom Burke. They like they do they do the treatment and uh, in the best possible way, make him look kind of amazing. Um, yeah. So yeah, I love that. I love that about it. especially when um, like even like from when you first see him as well, it's from the back of his head, and the camera slowly pans round, and I'm like, oh, see this, and then I saw the nose, and I was like, oh, that's spawn. So, well done there. Uh, so, um, yeah, so there are plenty of other people. We honestly don't have enough time to go through the cast list, of which there, there's loads. And um, who, yep. Hold on. Who, let me let me find the actor who played him, but I, I think you have to shout out. Uh, here he is. Yeah, I mean, we, we mentioned, but Arliss Howard as Louis B. Mayer yeah. is fucking crazy oh, he's, good in this. He's, well. like, amazing. He's absolutely amazing. The back and forths between him and... Uh, and Oldman are, are fucking awesome. Um, so yeah, so like, like incredible cast. Let's stress that out uh, just now. Uh, the movie itself won two Oscars, Bo Ransdell. Mm-hmm. Which, uh, so I mean, it, it did okay. Um, it won uh, Best Achievement in Production Design and Best Achievement in Cinematography. However, it was up for Best Picture, Best Leading Actor, Best Director, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Best Sound, Best uh, Music, um, Best Makeup and Hairstyle, and Best Costume. So it was, it was up for a lot. Interestingly enough, um, uh, the, the Oscar for Best Music... Um, obviously for the score of longtime collaborator with um, with David Finch or uh, Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who were beaten in the 2021 Oscars by themselves. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you're going to lose to somebody. <laughs> so uh, what would you kind of love for the, the Disney Pixar movie Soul, which mm-hmm. is kind of amazing as well. Um, have you ever seen Soul? I have seen parts of Soul. I never got all the way through it. Not because of any fault of the movie. I just, you know, I get distracted. Yeah, but I, it seemed I, good. Yes. Um. To me, it is the one of the better examples of a movie having a positive message about the importance of understanding that you can have a contribution to life. And a legacy to life, which doesn't involve you getting your dream. If you know what I mean? Ah, uh, sure. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, and I, I can see that from even the very, very beginning yeah. of the movie. Yeah. And that I, makes a lot of sense. And I, I, I kind of loved it like that. It's, it's kind of, in, in a weird way, it's kind of like the, the Pixar version of something like Mr. Holland's Opus. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Are you kidding me? <laughs> darling, darling, darling. Darling Sean. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like Niagara Falls, Frankie. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I'd, like, what we're seeing is, like, Mike did, you know, well, well. Well, it was nominated for a shitload of things. Um, according to IMDb, uh, in total had 264 nominations across various different, like, bodies that give out awards. And it won 56 awards. So, and two Oscars. Yeah, I mean again it's it's david fincher doing a riff on citizen kane it's gonna yeah. get a couple yeah just but, by, by virtue of that but it's also very very good yeah also kind of feels like this is the sort of movie that the academy's like yes 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. For we, sure. We want oh, this it, one. <laughs> well, it's like it's like the media. The media yeah. likes a story about the media gotcha. as much as anything. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, uh, if you are in, on the you know board the uh, of of the motion picture arts and sciences um yes watching a movie about movies and celebrating that it's the reason stuff like the artist wins and yeah. la la land and all that stuff yeah, yeah. it's you know you you give uh the academy a movie just jerking off the industry and yeah. <laughs> they'll throw a couple of trophies into the back of your car on the way through and <laughs> uh, the synopsis for this one is 1930s Hollywood is reevaluated through the eyes of scathing social critic and alcoholic screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz as he races to finish the screenplay of Citizen Kane, which came out in 1941, uh, which in itself won one Oscar. The Oscar it won was for, for, for Best Screenplay, as co-written... <laughs> which is where some of this stuff that we're going to be talking about coming from. Uh, it's co-written by um, Mankiewicz and Orson Welles. Um, so, like, we've... A difficult one to review because, like you mentioned uh, up the, at the upfront, basically this movie is using the same techniques of kind of non-linear storytelling that Citizen Kane does and is what makes it stand out and makes it so memorable um, but essentially what we're doing is we're starting off this movie with uh, Mankiewicz is all banged up, he's been in a car accident, his leg is, is broken um, and this is when Orson Welles decides is the best time for him to finally sit down and get the screenplay that he has agreed to do uh, which he originally agreed he would have 90 days to do but they're just chopping 30 off and Wells thinks this is going to be great for him because he's removed all the vices that he sees personally as being a crutch against Mankiewicz, a guy who he'd worked with before um, he'd done some of the, the, the kind of radio plays uh, for those that don't know, Orson Welles notwithstanding his contribution to, to cinema of which it's kind of legendary by all accounts the man had a fucking huge ego but most artists do but he's, mm. he's probably most famous out with Citizen Kane for I would say War of the Worlds is probably the thing that kind of stands in pop culture maybe not necessarily in just overall prowess but um, he was behind the, the you know the radio play of War of the Worlds which I mean, terrified. <laughs> terrified. He's, he was found footage before found footage, Bo. He was the Blair Witch before Blair Witch existed. Um, yeah. He terrified well, audiences in believing that Martians had come to destroy the Earth. And not just... I mean, that was the big story, right? But, you know, the, the reason he was given the deal for Citizen Kane is that the Mercury Theatre productions mm -hmm. were incredibly well regarded oh, yeah. like he was oh, yes. doing shakespeare on on the radio mm -hmm. and all these class like the stranger and the trial and like all this stuff and and if you listen to them they're great oh yeah yeah, yeah. and and so yes in addition to scaring the shit out of a bunch of people <laughs> in new jersey he was also doing this really like superior level work on the radio which yeah. was you know the primary source of entertainment for most americans mm-hmm and, you know, it was the TV before TV. 
and and so he got this incredibly sweet deal I mean, to do like, whatever the hell he wanted. These deals don't exist anymore unless you, I don't know, have sucked off Satan, Satan before you've walked through the, the door. He's, he, I think, I, I, memory serves the, the kind of preamble to this, the, you know, the dialogue at the start says that I think he's 24. Is that right? Or have I made that up? Yeah, he was, uh, I don't know exactly. Hold on, I'll, I'll find yeah. out. But I'm sure I'm yeah, sure it I mean, said he's 24 years old and the studio green lit, lights a project that he has final say and final cut on. That doesn't sure, happen. Yes. Yeah, sure enough. He was he was 24 before or as uh, uh, Citizen Kane was going into production. Have you ever have you ever heard of any deal that any director's had at twenty four years old where a studio says you make what you want in your final cut on it? You know, you might get closest with like a Spielberg. Yeah. But that but that wasn't his first movie. Like his first movie was Sugarland Express because mm -hmm. it's all that he could find the money for. Yeah. And yeah, no Orson Will um, Orson Wells was handed the keys to the kingdom right out of the gate yeah and and in fairness the first time at bat made one of the greatest movies <laughs> ever, ever committed to film so you know and and just if you're keeping score touch of evil ain't too bad either oh god you know? yeah. yeah yeah so you know he he's this tremendously talented guy but he also has a tremendous ego oh god yes i mean it's like it's huge but then you think like does that ego aid him as being a filmmaker? You know what I mean? Oh, it's a yeah, weird, of course. These things kind of go hand in hand. But yeah, there's a there's a way to do it, and then there's a way to be a dick about it. And um, uh, just saying, he may he may have been a bit of a dick about it. Um, so I right, mean, to me, I, my, like I don't know about you, my introduction to Orson Welles, uh, without knowing it was Orson Welles, is. <laughs> Here's me like showing my age and putting my cards down as Unicron. And that's Unicron, not Omicron, right? Oh. <laughs> not the COVID virus. But Unicron. The Transformer, yeah. Yeah, the track like he voiced Unicron and it was a, mm -hmm. a voice that terrified me as a kid. I remember seeing Transformers the movie when I was what, like seven or eight? And um that vo that booming voice about, you know, like essentially how he was gonna destroy everything and you know and him like destroying like Megatron and like all the rest, just watching it going, holy shit. Um, not knowing that, you know, knowing the name that comes up in the credits is someone called Orson Welles, but not knowing who that is at that age. And then finding out, oh, well, this guy, he was a filmmaker and a voice actor. And oh, wait, was it? He, did, he made Citizen Kane? Like later on, finding that out yeah. and just having my, my mind blown. Um, he wasn't just the guy who was drunk in those wine commercials that yeah. <laughs> gave gave Kermit the Frog the standard rich and famous contract in the Muppet yep. movie. You yeah, know? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that that he was this brilliant <laughs> filmmaker. And like I said, you know, listeners, if you've never done it, treat yourself and just on the internet, you can find all of the old time radio stuff oh, God, that the yeah. Mercury Theater did. Highly recommend. And, like throw it on when you're going to bed and just like his Dracula mm. is great blood of my blood the way he <laughs> he repeats that's so good like like yeah I mean going back to what we were saying before like I don't think you can do the kind of work Orson Welles did without having the ego to believe that you could do it yeah and because some of the stuff he did it was just like okay we're gonna you know make this crazy 
uh, character study of a movie that jumps all around in time and it's by the way about a real person who's going to be real pissed <laughs> when when they hear about this movie but fuck it let's do it anyway like you've got to have the fucking balls on this guy Duncan. yeah oh yeah yeah like at uh, the end when he's talking about and he's doing it, he's wielding it for dual purpose um at the end of the movie where he's basically talking about the the shit storm that is about to come their way for you know that this movie's before it's even made that's you know like um it's not going to play in theaters and um friends of um hers are gonna you know are trying to buy out the studio and you know to shelf the the thing and all the rest and he's obviously you know that you know like we said he's, he's 24 and he's kind of fearless that way and he's he's doing this and you can see he's really you know if anything it's it's fueling him but he's also using it as a way to try and get mank out of contract you know try and get rid of him so uh it's so much easier for him just to assume sole credit of everything that's there um but yeah there's like there's a you know there's there's an interesting because like when you do like a bit of the reading in the background and all the rest it surprises me that at any point in time anyone thought that they could like they could put up the argument that this was not about um uh, dear willie uh mm-hmm. you know it clearly is i mean it clearly is and we get that through flashbacks because what we're we're following here is mankowitz trying to write his first draft of what i think the original script was called the american or american um yeah and you know which would become that's in game and as he's writing his script we then jump back into the 30s at various points in time where he like you said before he kind of grows into himself becomes more disillusioned uh with the people that he's surrounded by but at key moments in the the kind of flashbacks we cover essentially the catalyst these different things that happen that become the shaping of the character of of uh of kane uh so of citizen kane um specifically like i think the the kind of the the tell all thing um is specifically to do with the election um where it's kind of funny it's kind of funny (laughs) like like we say like things haven't changed that far um at all when it comes to um america's fear of the socialist um why you you're scared of me bo i can tell um (laughs) you know the one thing i keep going back to is uh a a recording that we had just like it was a month ago or something wasn't even that long ago Mm -hmm. and i was talking about uh getting ruined because of having to take an ambulance trip (laughs) and you were like you say that like it applies to me and it's it's one of those things that's stuck in my craw ever since of like goddamn right that like this is this country is kind of unique in that breaking your arm can bankrupt your family. Oh god, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, see, uh, like to 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 stress this right now, I could, I could like have an anxiety attack, right, which I perceive as being a you know heart attack, and I'm not sitting here worried about whether or not it's going to cost me a fortune that I'll be paying off for the next three years if I lift the phone and phone for an ambulance to take me in there. It just does it. <laughs> like, yeah. Phone them, they come out, they take you in there, and you don't get strapped with a, 
with a like a, a bill <laughs> like or an invoice when you leave it's just so it's a, it's a foreign concept to me completely um but there's like that great line where he says uh was it? it says um so, uh socialism is about like uh, sharing the wealth amongst everyone while communism is about sharing being poor or something uh, no, sharing the blame yeah and I, I, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I kind of, I kind of love that, like the still to this day, uh, where you are in the world, um, socialism is so readily and deliberately confused with communism when they're not the same, <laughs> like, like they're not the same at all. Um, it just, just it, it, it makes me, it makes me smile. But we, we, we kind of, we kind of worked through the the election. Um, between uh, the Republican and the, the, you know, the Democrat, and specifically how um, you you have the the leaning of the establishment into specifically at Hearst's bequest um, to uh, you know stack the deck, uh, even down to the point that actors are like false flag operations both are employed uh through propaganda movies phone calls and all the rest to discredit the democrat in favor mm-hmm. of of the you know of the republican and the effect that it has specifically on mankowitz who's known as being a, a kind of an intellectual who hears himself kind of keeps around because he's entertaining he's clever yeah, yeah he's he entertaining and witty and there's yeah. part there's part of that that I think ne- never his friendship mere, per se because we get the end result of the conversation about the the organ grinder and the monkey, um, but he keeps him there as a you know because he he's witty he's intelligent he, he says things that make people go <gasps> you know like, like there's a, there's a bit of kind of sensationalism uh, and controversy that's courted by him but you know Mankiewicz starts to see basically how far they're going to push things and kind of fights back in his own way, his own drunken, shambled sort of way against it. And then you see Citizen Kane and you see the, the effect. And then obviously, like just the parallels between the two, um, apparently uh, William in his youth was very much about uh, not full-on re- redistribution of, of wealth, but was very much for the working man. Yeah. And, well, and yeah, I mean, he was certainly a champion of the common man. Yeah. But the the thing that Citizen Kane says is, well, he did that, and and I guess Mank does too. Ultimately, yeah. is that he didn't do that because he was really a fan of the common man. He did it so that the common man would thank him. Yeah. And would love him. Would love him specifically. Would love him. Um, yeah. And so, so it kind of follows that way. But basically, like I say, you're following it through mostly with, and, and then you see the parallel of characters like Amanda Seyfried as play, you know playing the character Marion that we talk about, who is essentially in Citizen Kane. It's um, it's Kane's like second wife, Susan, or? Suzanne, yeah, something, the one who's a terrible yeah. singer. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and who, like again, one of the great moments in Citizen Kane is when. She decides, yeah, Susan Alexander is yeah. her name. So she decides after this like horrific debut, yeah, <laughs> where you know everybody kind of goes after her, that she is not going to sing anymore, and he won't let her stop, yeah, because he refuses to let anyone lose. Mm-hmm. Like he, he he can't ever 
he can't ever be the butt of the joke. He can't ever be the one who loses. Yeah. And it's a, it's a great scene. Uh, I know we're talking about Citizen Kane now, but there's a great scene of the the pained um, voice instructor who's just like, just let me go, please. She can't do it. Yeah. And then the oh man, that that ter- again talk about Citizen Kane. But there was that terrific scene too, where when he goes to his his buddy Leland, yes, who is writing the review of this performance, yes, and has passed out at his desk and Kane finishes the review and it's a scathing review yeah he finishes it in the way that he would have done it um and then doesn't doesn't acknowledge it to his uh, his wife which is kind of kind of amazing right and and she actually says to him like yeah you fired him but you gave him a check for twenty five thousand dollars at the moment that he's opening a letter from leland has all the, the principles from his first his first mm-hmm. publication which uh, and a and the check for twenty five thousand yeah. dollars ripped up yeah yeah and oh my god i so mean good. It's just, so good <laughs> yeah and 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 so in theory then mank is the the blueprint for how mank is writing this character of kane yes who is a, a stand-in for hearst mm-hmm but like you said, you kind of, much like Citizen Kane, you kind of start at the point where Mank is, you know, not not necessarily the, the present day stuff where he's kind of recuperating from this car accident yeah. because like, <laughs> his driver wanted to show him a love letter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but but when you go back to kind of when he's a mover and shaker in, in the writing room. Yeah. And, and this kind of, you know pie-eyed optimism that he has about you know getting his 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 brother and his family and friends of his getting them work Mm -hmm. and what a great time they're all having they've got a you know they're in a writer's room and their secretary is topless as she's taking notes and whatnot (laughs) you know i mean it's just the wild west it's early days of filmmaking and these were the guys who you know, if not exploited, it certainly had a blast in the execution of it. Mm-hmm. And and all of that stuff is is really interesting, but then you start to understand the parallels between him, I mean, him and Hearst. Yeah. You know, that they're both these optimistic people who ultimately want to be loved. Yeah. And, you know, Mank also has the added monkey, uh, not to get to organ grinders, mm-hmm. but uh, the added monkey of just being drunk all the time. Well, this is the there's the thing where um, he's having the argument with the he's having the argument specifically of over the propaganda stuff that his his friends been um, kind of commissioned to do to direct, yeah. which was his idea. Yes, yes, it was. <laughs> and he's he, he's in there and he's talking to the, the the kind of film executive who tells him that his friend. Is you know he's doing it, but he's also paying off Mank's debt in the process, which you know he, like Mank will later on fuck. Um, but you know um, when they're having that conversation, the guy is basically like, like "Listen, like I this is this is like a serious job to me. When I show up here, I give my all. You know, I I, I put the work in, I put the graft in, and I look at someone like you as like someone who has." Like like squanders of potential because you you drink you you're sarcastic you're clearly smart but imagine the difference someone like you could do if they actually 
you know, they actually took life seriously and committed to what they were doing. Yeah. Imagine what you could do if you did that. Um, which, you know, when you hear stories like that and then you hear him argue with Wells at the end of, well, look, I, well, I didn't completely abstain from alcohol. However, I acknowledge that this is my best work. And I want some credit for it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I want to be acknowledged for this great work that I've done because this is something that I'm actually legitimately proud to have written. Um, well, and you, just to go ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, and you like it's, that. That's what makes that scene so powerful at the end. Is this it's kind of this culmination of all the. The, the flashbacks and all the events and all the the situations that he has been inserted into where if he'd been a bit sharper or you know been a bit more serious or taken things a bit more serious he may have actually been able to impact more diligently for sure and i think that's the story of a lot of people like i know plenty of people who are in a creative industry mm -hmm. that smoke a ton of weed <laughs> yeah and I'm like, man, if you were, if you had your wits about you, you would be so much more productive. Yeah. And I don't, like, I, I'm not trying to talk anyone out of the vices of their choice or anything, mm -hmm. but it's just, as to your point, it's just the sad truth of it is if you're, if you're a sharp person by nature, that's great. And you're still going to be a step ahead, even when you're, you know, drunk or high or whatever. Yeah you know, you can have that arm tied behind your back and still outpunch a lot of people. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, what, like you said, what could you be if you just put, you know, really all, both hands in, in, into the mix? Yeah. And, um, but it, just to take a brief step back, because I, I like, I want to talk about this whole bit of, of Upton Sinclair and, and Mank and all that stuff, because mm -hmm. it's so critical to, like his dissolution yeah yeah yeah. and there's that great scene with irving thalberg the producer mm -hmm. which by the way if you ever watch the oscars there's an irving j thalberg award that they give and this is the dude um also when uh there's <laughs> i know i'm just tangent uh like going on a tangent about a tangent but there's that great line in this where he says to his secretary don't let the marx brothers into my office anymore yeah <laughs> and, and mink says it smells like summer in here yeah um <laughs> the joke of that is that irving thalberg kept ducking meetings with the marx brothers so they got naked and roasted potatoes in his office <laughs> And that is the joke of him telling his secretary, don't let them back in here yeah. because they're fucking crazy. Um, and also why it smells like summer of the roasting potatoes. But um, when he's having the conversation about Upton Sinclair and, and Thalberg is talking about, you know, the Screen Writers Guild, of which I'm a member, and... Um, and, and how that, you know, that's practically this, you know, communist organization and all that shit. Mm -hmm. And... Mink kind of gives him shit about being about like being sort of in the pocket of the Republican, but also saying, and I pulled up the line cause I like it so much. Um, he he's given him shit about like, you know, you don't need to take money out of my paycheck to go to this Republican fund because you have everything you need. Mm -hmm. And Thalberg says meaning. And he says, meaning, 
you can make the world swear King Kong is 10 stories tall and Mary Pickford a virgin at 40. Yeah. Yet you can't convince starving voters that a turncoat socialist is a, is a menace to everything Californians hold dear. You're barely trying. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a it's a funny line, and he kind of throws it over his shoulder when he leaves. And we get a return to that after, you know, his buddy produces these films. He got a chance to direct, uh, is the joke of that. Mm -hmm. um, that this friend of his that he knows gets, gets a chance to direct these, you know, hit commercials against Upton Sinclair, all about how Sinclair is going to ruin life for the Californians. Notice in that commercial also, the only person that says that he's for Upton Sinclair is the black guy. Yeah. Yeah. And... <laughs> And so Mank sees oh, that. Oh, <laughs> there's, there's one more. There's the there's the Russian guy who's living. <laughs> oh right, right. Yeah, there's a Russian guy Russia. who clearly has escaped Russia to come to America. Whose plus point is that communism seems to be working fine in Russia, so it should it should work fine here. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you in America? And <laughs> and. And when Mink sees it, he's like, oh my God, like, this is, I mean, it's outrageous. This mm -hmm. is, it, it's lying to people. Like, most of these people are actors. And, uh, and his buddy says, well, only, you know, only like half of them are actors. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and, but there's the repetition of the line where, you know, Mink says, uh, uh, like like his buddy Shelley says, you don't think anyone old enough to vote is going to buy this shit. Mm -hmm. And Mank's response is, only the ones that believe King Kong's 10 stories tall or Mary Pickford a virgin at 40. 40, yeah. And he realizes he is the genesis point. He is the seed yeah. of, of this commercial is what he said to Thalberg. Yeah. Yeah. And that ultimately, of course, leads to Shelley's suicide. Yes, and that is truly the point where Mank is like, he he's out for blood at that point. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know that Hearst is truly the proper target for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's the one he chooses because, you know, Hearst ran all the ads and was bankrolling a lot of that stuff and that kind of thing. But, and that's, I think, one of the complicated things about the movie is that there are no heroes and there are no, are no pure villains. Like, yes. Hearst is not the way he's presenting this. Yes, he is a capitalist. He is too wealthy by half. Mm -hmm. um, but also, he's not a monster. No, no, not by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> In fact, there's that great scene where, you know, Marion comes to Mank when she hears that he's writing the script and is mm -hmm. like, don't do this to him. Yeah, don't kick him while he's down. Right, like he's old, he's dying, he's lost all his influence, and and you know, yeah, he he, you know, kind of pulled the scales back from your eyes to show you what your place in his hierarchy was. Yeah, and it's raw, no it's doubt about it. It's brutal as fuck, is what. Is. <laughs> um, it and truly maybe the best scene in the movie by it's far. Like cover to cover, like from the time Mank enters to the time he is shown out. Oh yeah, well, it he's, is just he's he's really. his whole diatribe that you know basically alienates everyone in the room to like um, to Charles Dance walking him down the very 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 long corridor. 
basically showing him the door. Uh, but just yeah. kind of on the way there explaining why he's shown on the door and uh, why he might not be welcome anymore like your enjoyment you know the, the enjoyment that you brought me is now no longer there um uh yeah it's 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 kind of fucking amazing um and also happens in parallel with you know you were getting those scenes in parallel with these conversations with Orson Welles as well, which once again is really, really good use of the kind of piecing them together. But you were like you were talking about the, the death of his friend to commit suicide, and then you get this fucking like and we we're talking about Arliss Howard who plays uh, Louis B. Mayer in this fucking incredible performance here. You know, like not only does he cut the wages of his staff by half and have them applaud him, mm-hmm. which is like mwah, chef's kiss genius. But the 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 fake the fake crying at the funeral and then the disposal of the hanky out the window because it's no longer needed and no one's looking at him. Um, it's just like a classy asshole, like of the highest highest level. But you know, when, a guy who's clearly worked out. You know, this is how you play people. It's perception. You know, it's perception in the moment is all that people care about, and that's it. You know, how I am in real life is how I am, and, and yeah, it doesn't matter. It's all, it's all theater. Um, he has this great speech to uh, Mank's brother when Mank's bringing his brother into the writing room, who, by the way, kind of succeeds up yes. into being a producer and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. um, but Mayer is doing this whole thing like, we only have one star. That's Leo the Lion. Never forget that. Many stars <laughs> have, and now they twinkle elsewhere. You know, Um <laughs> Rule number three, people think MGM stands for Metro Gold Mayor. It does not. It stands for Mayor's Ganza Mishpolka. Mayor's <laughs> whole family. It's like it's terrific, but it's all bullshit. Yeah. You know? Um, and and to your point, like like LB, as they call him, uh, Louis B. Mayer, you know, his whole thing is, you know, control, running the business. He's there on the sets. Mm-hmm. You know, when we first meet him, it's when Mank kind of stumbles onto a set just to see what the fuck's going on. Yeah. <laughs> and to grab a drink. And and Louis B. Mayer is there. It's, you know, where he meets Mayer for the first time, where he meets uh, Marion, I think he knows. Yes. Or they, they had a, a, you know, a moment at a party. Uh, I like when his wife says, like, I've put up with all these platonic affairs that you've had over the years, because he's not fucking any of them, but no. he definitely has these, like, courtships. Yeah, 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 specifically with, with Marion, and he's, like... And uh, his Tup- nurse! Yes, oh god, yes, he's nurse. Uh, Tuppence Middleton plays uh, Sarah Mankiewicz, or as we mm-hmm. will know throughout this whole thing, poor Sarah. Um, yeah. <laughs> because she has to put up with with uh, Mankiewicz um, and she's great she's done there's so many moments where like she like because he asks her maybe it's like two or three times in the movie specifically asks her why why are you with me why do you love me and then at the end <clears throat> like she basically was like listen like because like life we use not boring you know like exhausting uh and yeah, I, I'm exacerbated dealing with you, but I'm so far invested now that I kind of want to see how the ride finishes. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I love that about her because, like you, like you say, like he has these, it has these connections with other women that are purely it's it's all words. 
um, as opposed to actually anything physical. But there's, I, you know, there's a part of Sarah as a character who does look that look at that as a betrayal, um, and probably rightly so. <laughs> like, I don't sure. know. I don't know if my my wife would be overjoyed if I uh, if it was. Uh, I don't. I don't know. Uh, Duncan and Barbarella come correct, and I was spending so much time talking to, you know. Some women yeah, across the pond about like deep, meaningful conversations about movies. You know, there's a connection there that that he has specifically with Marion, where mm-hmm. there's a like, especially when she she they're at the dinner party and they're talking about Hitler, which is a kind of illuminating conversation about how like some people like specifically at that time period in America it was maybe not like the the full picture wasn't necessarily seen as to what everyone in Europe was thinking um it's kind of like it's over there um yeah he's a he's a cookie guy you see that mustache it's kind of weird um and she she let slip about the idea about you know potentially using the 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 Hearst machine to uh change the voter perception and then she's kind of like oh did I say something wrong and when she's at it she genuinely doesn't get what she's done wrong if you know what I mean like she understands mm-hmm. that she's made some sort of faux pas but she doesn't quite understand it and Mank is kind of like a sounding board for her and that's the you know that group that like, when you have someone like that you can bounce things off of um that's like that's an intimate friend intimate in terms of uh, you know uh, in terms of like the information you would share with someone that you wouldn't share with just a standard acquaintance if you know what i mean and that's yeah. what she's on about and i think it's i think it's true like and you're right they do a good job of that in the movie you've shown it oh absolutely yeah it and it's he's wooing these women you know like it doesn't consummate but you know both the nurse and like there's that great bit where um the nurse played by lily collins when she talks about her husband being overseas and him kind of rattling off these statistics about german planes and how how dangerous it is and then he goes missing and clearly feels fucking terrible about it like any you know muses to himself like always the smartest guy in the room you Mm -hmm. know like i can't not be on i can't not put on a show and I've got to be smart. I've got to be clever. I've got to be witty. And, you know, and and that's why when Charles Dance gives him the organ grinder speech, it's just like, yeah, you're, you're all of those things. You're witty and you're fun and you're, you know, a good time at a party until you throw up in the dining room. <laughs> but don't ever, you know, uh, like don't mistake that for being powerful yes yes and and that is that is why mank goes after hers yeah because he's not powerful and he just wants to take somebody down like he's he's swinging at at hearst even though like i said i don't think hearst is a great guy in this movie Mm -hmm. but i also don't think that he's a monster yeah you know as i said and um yeah, but yeah, so poor Sarah is having to put up with all this stuff. Mank is, you know, working on this script and hiding his alcohol problem, mm-hmm. which at one point Lily Collins kind of sniffs out, and and we get the uh, revelation from the other nurse, the one from Germany, that he had arranged for 
her family and pretty much everybody in that village to get out of Germany. Yeah. And so, you know, the way she puts it is like, well, I, you know, I figure if he wants to drink, let him drink. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not going to stop him. He's a good man. And if this is how he wants to live, then let him live the way he wants. Like he saved, like that is, again, use that Schindler's List comparison, but that is, that's that. It yeah. is, you have saved lives. You've created generations of people. Like you've already kind of won the game of life at that point, much less, you know, being a brilliant writer. And, um, and so like the journey of him writing this script and getting to, the core of who he is because that's ultimately where the movie goes is yeah. that like this is this isn't about him writing about hers this is about him trying to figure out who he is being being something more than just the witty drunk at the party that he's going to be a, a person of substance that he's going to be the writer yes of of this piece of work that as he you know confesses to everyone who will listen this is the best thing i've ever done yeah yeah, and then like you were talking the discovery of the alcohol with Wells at the end, and Wells kind of <laughs> grabbing it and smashing it off the wall, and then like like Mankiewicz going, yeah, Kane needs to have a scene where he's <laughs> you know like, like trashes up a room, right yeah. down there. and like this explosion Wells, of a violence. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then Wells stops for a second. And is like, yeah, maybe you're right. <laughs> like, it's like on that on that bit, the the the, the kind of two minds agree, even though he's about to storm out. Um, well, we kind of well, like moving away from the story. We've kind of talked about like there's a specific. We're we're looking at it from a Fincher point of view, and uh, less from the this kind of storytelling point of view. Um, like, he, like obviously shoots it black and white. Um, but like the transitions, I, that was the one thing I noticed. Like, and that's where watching something like Citizen Kane into this movie and the close proximity, I think, benefits because they do the the same sort of kind of I can't remember how you the do it. wipes, so, and, yeah, yeah, all that it, stuff. Yeah. It's all that's used, and it's used like in the same sort of the same sort of way, almost identically, actually, the same sort of way that you get those in in Citizen Kane as well. So there's real attention. Like, real, really attention to detail. And, like, you mentioned about the fucking balls. I mean, it's no mean feat to do a movie like this anyway, which is covering the subject matter, but then to, um, you know, ebb the actual techniques itself and the, the you know, the storytelling beats. There's an incredible line um that you get here where Mankiewicz says you can't capture a man's entire life in two hours um yeah, you can just give an impression of it yeah, yeah which you know like is like well you watch Citizen Kane you know it's two hours long um so like there's 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 so like all these things that are so prescient and and on the nose that could so easily be cringy that aren't mm -hmm. And he manages to such a it's like it's like trying to like like balance a plate on a, a blade of grass, you know, like it's like nigh on impossible. But he manages to do it and do it really, really well. And I think you spoke earlier on to the fact that well, this is like he's he's older now, um, and he's probably he's most confident. I think making this movie, I like like there's there's just like between coming off Gone Girl, where we were both like, yeah, this is a guy who just knows. Either he knows how good he is, and then you watch Mank, and it's in a completely different, you know, realm of filmmaking. 
but that confidence isn't diminished at all. And you would think there'd be more pressure on him making something like this. And he yeah. just it, it doesn't show in the filming at all. You know, just so I don't forget to say this later, the difference between this and like Gone Girl and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, mm. aside from the fact that they're not like those are direct adaptations of, of novels. Yes. That this ends so much better. It's got it like yeah. it ends where it needs to, mm-hmm. as opposed to you know, continuing the story on past the point where you feel like I've gotten everything I need out of this movie. Yeah, it's very, and, un, very unfinished, actually, if you think about that. Yeah, you know, like when Mink's talking about, like, you got to leave the impression of one. He's like, the the narrative is one big circle like a cinnamon roll. Yes. It's not not a straight line pointing to the nearest exit. Yeah. And I, and I like that because that, even though it has that architecture in this movie, where you're seeing, especially, you know, that dinner party scene that we've been referencing, that scene is split up into kind of three parts yes. when he shows up and is seated at the end of the table, then when he gives his monologue and then the Charles Dance monologue. And every piece of that continues to tell you the story of why is Mank doing this script? Yes. Yes. And... And it's one of those things that when you get to the organ grinder scene and then ultimately, you know, Mank having the the showdown with Wells saying, this is the best thing I'm, I'm, you know, as it turns out, the last thing he ever did. Yeah. And so, you know, he's going to fight for this bit of integrity that he doesn't really have. You know, he's kind of a joke. He's kind of washed up the same way that Hearst is washed up, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah it's just again the also speaking of it being shot in black and white duncan i don't Mm -hmm. know if you knew this or not he was gonna make this after the game i didn't know that no i didn't know that so he he was and the studios wouldn't let him because he wanted to shoot in black and white (sighs) and they were and they were like what are you talking about (laughs) a movie in black and white it'll never work and so it took him from the game to you know, a couple of years ago to get this thing made. Yeah, the irony being that the artist won the Best Picture Oscar and was all in black and white, and it was after the game. Um, I, or Schindler's List. Or Schindler's God's List. Thing, you <laughs> know, like, yeah, it's it's one of those things that's just like, oh, you you people are so stupid. Yeah. Just yeah. Uh, let, let the artist do the artist thing, and then, you know, if it doesn't work out, you can say I told you so, but mm-hmm. otherwise shut the fuck up and let them create, because... Fincher by that point had done, you know, had done seven, had done, you know, like, yeah. it, it, like it was established that he was a a very good filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, but at any rate, it, I'm I'm glad it happened now because I think Gary Oldman originally he wanted Kevin Spacey to um, play Mank, and it's like, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. glad it's Oldman. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you'd be talking about this movie in a slightly different context. Yeah, yeah, I don't know if we'd want that. Um, also, like, because you mentioned the, the, the dinner table scene, I, I think we circle, because it is such an important scene as well, but just stylistically, very, 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 very clever scene, because not only are you getting those those that scene broken up into the three parts um, and the build up to the organ grinder scene as well but essentially you have Charles Dan sitting there and he's like and he's like kind of his robe and all the rest and everyone else in there is dressed up like a caricature or a circus performer 
it's yeah it's a, a costume party for circus performers and you've got amanda seafried in this like ringmaster yeah hat and everything and but yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. ultimately leading towards him you know <laughs> like at the end of that uh divulging the the monkey and the organ grinder thing which obviously is that circus as well so like everyone at that table is playing their part and mm -hmm. you know they're fulfilling their part of what charles dance wants at that table so everyone's in the same boat uh well and, apart from and him, you get which i kind of love yeah and you get the tease of that like way earlier in the movie where you see where mank i think is who says have you ever heard the 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 parable of the organ yes. grinder's monkey yes and, and and it's left there for much of the film yes and then you get you know the like i said it's in you know three parts the first part is him showing up super drunk at this party <laughs> that he was not invited to <laughs> and been there, um. right and 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 hearst again because he's not a monster in this movie he doesn't immediately get rid of him he just puts him at the end of the table so he can't make a scene gives him some food and you know bring him some coffee yeah and so he's sitting there and mink decides he's gonna put on a show mm -hmm. and tries to like do the little ting 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 with the glass yeah. <laughs> with like a spoon and can't get it together so he grabs a knife and just shatters the glass <laughs> Which is the first break. And then yep. you, when you come back to that scene, it's him telling essentially the story of Citizen Kane. Yeah, he's, 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 but he's using uh, through the eyes of Don Quixote, which I, I, I kind of love as well, but it's clear. You can read between the lines. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and he, and he casts LB as the poncho, who's, yep. you know, just this flunky. And he gets to the end of it, throws up on the dining room floor. Mm hmm which is hilarious and everybody leaves yeah and you know this is where also louis v mayer reveals that oh by the way hearst has been paying half your salary for years yeah because just because he likes you and then hearst uh like and that's where it breaks and then you come back oh, yeah it, 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 it likes you it likes you for your words it doesn't like you for your writing yeah right and mank is then shown out by like you said down the longest hallway ever yeah. <laughs> as charles dance gives this speech and uh I, i've got it right in front of me so i'm gonna run yeah. through this real quick do it do it all right and he's and he he puts his arm around mank who by the way starts off said like what i said was more in sorrow than in anger yeah. <laughs> like he's already backpedaling and apologizing and her says are you familiar with the parable of the organ grinders monkey now, the organ grinder's monkey is tiny in stature, and having been taken from the wild, he's naturally overwhelmed by the enormous world around him. But every morning, a sweet elderly woman dresses him in a fine suit of clothes. She fits him with a red velvet vest adorned with pearl buttons and a handsome red fez with a silk tassel. She slips on brochade shoes that curl at the toe, and he's paired with a fine gilt music box on an exquisite gold chain fastened to his neck and his neck alone whenever he ventures into the city to perform he thinks what a powerful fellow i must be look how patiently everyone waits just to watch me dance and wherever i go he thinks this music box must follow and with it this poor downtrodden man and if i chose not to dance this sorry street peddler would starve 
And every time I do decide to dance, every time he must play, whether he wishes to or not. You've had a bit too much to drink, <laughs> Herman. I'll get Raymond to drive you to the station. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. And you can see as this is happening, Mank realizing, oh, fuck, I have fucked up yeah. in, in a grand way. Yeah. And and again, just kind of misunderstood his role, like what his relationship with William Randall, it, like he he isn't just the jester speaking truth to power. Mm -hmm. He is the monkey dancing for the pleasure of Hearst. Mm -hmm. And oh my God, it's so good! It's Holy amazing. shit, that scene is good. <laughs> it's, it's really, really it's like yeah, it's, it's it's absolutely incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Um, let's because we could we could dance around uh, like, like like the monkey. Um, like kind of like getting lost even further into the works here but where i kind of want to finish off with this one is that fincher's obviously now done this movie once again hugely successful has signed i want to see like in the back of my head that i i've got it in my head that's like a five picture deal with netflix moving forward um where i imagine full creative control i can't imagine like netflix wanting to do anything to, to kind yeah, of turn hang on. i'm looking yeah. looking that up yeah yeah like it's, it's an incredible deal he's got and he's you know he's gonna go off and do what fincher does with that um he has like he's shown himself to have aptitudes in in various different realms of cinema where do you want to see him go next like what? What do you do? You want to see him go back to doing the thrillers that have essentially been the kind of bedrock um, of his career, or, or is this sort of work something now that we've seen him, you know, well and truly master it, um, pretty much at his first swing? Um, is this where we want to see him play around in the future? What do you think? Uh, Alright, so it was a four-year deal. Is oh, four-year deal. And a a four-year exclusive deal. Um, yeah, I mean, this sounds like I'm I'm being a little wishy-washy, but it's kind of <laughs> like I, I want him to do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Um, I want him to pursue his passions because even when I don't agree, even when it's like a Benjamin Button or something, then, you know, like that is a more interesting experiment than most movies, mm -hmm. even though it doesn't really work for me. I would love to see him do another uh, crime thriller. I think that's yeah. where he excels. I would love to see him do a movie like Panic Room that's a little bit shorter, that's more of a lean and mean kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, comes in around hour 45, hour 50, and just rocks from beginning to end. That's the kind of stuff I love to see him do. But also... Like, he clearly enjoys exploring, you know, th that dark side of human behavior, oh, the, yeah. the ideas of obsession and, you know, uh, 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 of, of trying to find the light in the darkness. Like, those ideas are just riddled in, in his work. Like, I would say obsession is probably number one on the list of uh, his... his you know characteristics yeah in a film or his themes in a film and i you know keep doing that stuff I, I wouldn't mind to see him going back to the well on even a serial killer movie although i don't know that that's 
you know, I, I like do the social network too, like yeah. explore that. Uh, do another Zodiac style film where you just do a period piece, like I do Mind Hunter. Uh, yeah, like I mean, yeah, yeah, an, an, another season of Mind Hunter. I know they're teasing it again, but that would to me felt like the natural extension beyond Zodiac, you know, um, and it's it's really fucking good. <laughs> sure, and like i said just kind of do whatever it is that he is passionate about um and get out of his way because like i said even like his his biggest failure as a filmmaker i would say is benjamin button i mean i agree yeah i keep punching on it but you know even that isn't a god-awful movie it's just (laughs) it's just compared to everything else he did yeah it's a little bit of a letdown because it's a little syrupy and it doesn't quite hang together real well and and so forth. But even the stuff that I complain about being a little too long, like Gone Girl and and Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, like there's a solid two hours of both of those movies that I am transfixed. Yeah. yeah and yeah. then 15 minutes where I'm like, let's wrap her up, Dave. <laughs> wrap it up, B. <laughs> you just kind of you kind of want. At some point, Charles danced to shop and walk that movie down a corridor and finish it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Lysander, <laughs> let me. Have you ever heard the parable of the Oregon Grinders <laughs> monkey? Right. Well, let's. Uh, on that, I, I, to be honest, I, I, I'm going to side with you 100%. I think the best thing that can come from the Netflix relationship is Netflix just letting the man do what he wants to do. Because clearly. He's at his best. He's at his sharpest when he has that, you know, a little studio, little to no studio involvement, and something that he's passionate about doing. Um, I think that's where he, he really does shine. So uh, we will see where that takes us. Uh, hopefully, something soon. If it's a four-year exclusive deal, then they better get the finger out because um, you know four years will fly uh, very quickly. Um, for the final time. In Opera Omnia season three, I have a question to ask you. I think I know what the answer is. Um, yes. But we we will find it anyway. As it stands just now, this is the 11th and final movie in the Fincher filmography. Bo Ramsdell, for the last time, is Zodiac still top of your list or has Mank dethroned it? Man, it's... Yes, it is still Zodiac, but Mank is really good. Yeah. You know, it's one of those movies that feels uh, like I, I almost said return to form, but Gone Girl is not like, you know, a trashy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, like with that, um, less so Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, but you look at like Social Network and, and Zodiac and then Panic Room and, you know, Seven. Like you can run through this list of movies that if you catch me on the right day, I could totally change my mind about Zodiac being the best. I just, as I've said before, Zodiac is a movie I wish I could just live in. It's, yeah. it's beautifully shot. The music is perfect. The, the The ending of that movie is perfect. Like everything about it, I think I think it's a masterpiece. And Mink, I think, is real damn close. Uh, I still think Seven is great. I still think. You know, social network is great. Uh, you know, it. He's got a lot of. He's got a deep bench yeah. of really, really good movies. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still with Zodiac. But what, what about you? I'm curious about this too. 
Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think Zodiac. It's, it's like we, we spoke about it before. Zodiac. It's just, just this entire sensibility. Not only its world building, but specifically its subject matter, the way it deals with it, the fact that you really do have an incredible trifecta of three characters experience and obsession and the after effects and the way it's constructed to me is is you know we said it before i think it's a perfect movie um mm. and mank is certainly i think mank is like definitely top tier for sure but there's only one zodiac and uh yeah it's it's <laughs> topping it's topping my list interestingly enough Bo, we we babe Ruth this right back on episode one we called it um and it's one of the many reasons why I think people should always listen to everything that we say because we're always right. Agreed. Um, yeah. So yeah. So finishing off this season, uh, we can say that both myself and Bo agree that the best David Fincher film up to as it stands just now, ladies and gents, January twenty twenty two, is a little movie called Zodiac. Um, I would like to thank Bo Ransdell for spending an entire season pretty much the full year going through the entire back catalogue of David Fincher as always it is effortless chatting to you about movies I have so much fun doing it and I think um, I think we did a good one here, it's everything that I hoped it would be and, and more, some of the conversations and some of the revisits of some of these movies but particularly the re-evaluation I'm, I'm, I'm thinking specifically on uh, Panic Room Son um which, you know, was a movie that I had all but written off after the first time watching it and coming back to watch it and, and really connecting with it in a way which made me happy. Um, like, all that stuff is the is the reason I enjoy doing Opera Omnia. It's, it's a, an excuse to sit down, uh, pick a director, who for the most part has a pretty impenetrably good back catalogue and then pick someone to chat just about how great that director is um month on month and you know it's the it's that chris farley sketch of remember remember in seven when uh morgan freeman said john doe's got the upper hand (laughs) that was awesome (laughs) that was was awesome uh but yeah it's it's like it's one of those things where like it's this show just like just allows me to pick some of my favorite directors sit down with some of my favorite people and talk about some of my favorite movies which is i mean that if 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 you're not happy doing that then you're doing it fucking wrong um that's the what is best in life conan that is that is (laughs) as good an answer yeah I think so. I think so. Um, so yeah, thank you very much for joining me, Bo. You are a busy man. You do lots of different things. Uh, for the final time, uh, until our addendum, the inevitable addendum that will happen, uh, let the folks out there know where they can check your stuff. Uh, first of all, as you mentioned earlier, uh, please join us for more conversations like this, only about worse uh, <laughs> movies and shows on Duncan and Bo Come Correct. We've done this to ourselves, Bo. We could pick good things. We just don't anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's not entirely true. Um, I mean, yes, it's true that we did it to ourselves, but it's not that we we don't always pick good things because once we wrapped up wrap up Slasher season four, yes, we are doing uncharacteristically for us, we're doing a bunch of uh, Pink Panther movies. Yeah, we're doing a bunch of comedies. Um, yeah, which I ca- I can't wait. Purely, it, it's even I'm even more excited now 
through the knowledge that you have only tangentially seen clips and never seen a full one uh, which like that to me as someone that grew up watching the pink panther movies just blows my fucking mind so uh, i can't yeah. wait to either hear your elation at finding something that you genuinely enjoy or the the, the you know the backlash of why am i fucking watching this duncan mcleish fuck you so yeah yeah, so there's that. So uh, again, subscribe to that podcast anywhere you get podcasts. Um, um, just recently, we talked about in between slasher seasons. Yes. We talk about Duran Duran albums, which was Seven and the Ragged Tiger was a great conversation. We just oh, yes. dropped that. Um, and you can also join us live at uh, youtube.com forward slash Legion podcast if you want to see us record the slasher episodes live. Um, so there's all that happening. You can find uh, pretty much everything else I do um, horror-related is under the Dark Parade podcast. And that is where uh, I there's a weekly episode talking about a specific movie, um, but there's also a bunch of episodes of me going through found footage movies and questioning my decisions. Um, and Heart of Horror with Kay Pollock, where we talk about love and pooping when you're pregnant and uh which is a tremendous discussion we had recently and uh and then finally uh pick six movies is a thing uh that i do uh it's a show that drops every two weeks where me and uh my buddy chad who i've known since kindergarten duncan mm -hmm. since we were we we lads um getting together to talk about movies generally really bad ones based around a common theme this season we uh season 19 of that show um we are calling die hard ons <laughs> which is a series of movies that all um are ripoffs of die hard mm. so like we did speed 2 we did under siege 2 oh, uh cliffhanger is coming up oh cliffhanger um, will be fun like john lithgow is amazing in that <laughs> But it's one of those things, spoilers for Cliffhanger uh, and John Lithgow as an actor, um, you know he can be a good villain because yeah. we have both seen Brian De Palma films. Yes, 100%, yeah. And Cliffhanger, he's like he's doing his best, but it's not a very interesting villain. No, his villain is his villain performance in Cliffhanger. If you've not recorded this, feel free to steal it and check out to make sure that I'm right. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Santa Claus, uh, uh -huh. with Dudley Moore, um, yeah, 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 like John Lithgow's the villain in that. Um, oh, and, Santa Claus the motion picture, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, John Lithgow's the villain in that. It's the same fucking performance. <laughs> What, what, what? <laughs> you know, it's, 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 he's, he's playing almost identically the same fucking character which like tickles me every time I've ever seen Cliffhanger because I just think, keep expecting to see him trying to get Dudley Moore to make candy canes that make you fly alright it's the same performance dude check it out <laughs> I'm about to have to go through notes on that movie so I will absolutely watch it through that prism um, and you can find all those things over on legionpodcasts.com along with a bunch of other shows from a bunch of other creators uh, and uh, some really great stuff. So uh, hop over to the website sometime and you can uh, see a bunch of those shows, uh, not just the stuff that I'm on. Although, please subscribe to the stuff I'm on uh, because especially Dark Parade. I do 
like not quite a podcast under the stairs level of output, but <laughs> in the ballpark, like there are usually three shows a week. That's that is that's a podcast under the stairs output. Like I I, I guarantee three shows a week. So if I do any more yeah. than that, then I'm having a great week. But it's, it's three I, shows a week. The difference between us, not guys, I don't guarantee shit. I'm like, <laughs> look, you're gonna get one for sure. And then you're you're gonna get some extra stuff as, as time allows. But it generally turns into about three episodes a week. And um I I feel like that's a good pace. Yeah. And and any more than that, and it's just, you know, madness. Complete utter madness, and I wouldn't Although, change a second of it. <laughs> let me let me tell you this. I know this is just the longest outro ever. Um, but uh, so we did in January. We did a bunch of movies I wanted to talk about on Dark Parade. Mm-hmm. You know, like we talked about like Behind the Mask and American Mary, and just a bunch of movies that I really love and want to chit chat with people about. Had a great conversation. Speaking of. Uh, uh, podcast under the stairs mark ball joined me for the discussion of american mary and we had a really good time ah, nice nice yeah it was really good um so i opened up in february for uh listener requests and these motherfuckers you see that you your first your first fault was that you opened up to listener requests yeah so. i mean i'm talking like chuck norris movies have found their way into this <laughs> doug tilly has me watching some movie that is, is it science like, crazed it is science crazed. Yeah, he's been wanting me to cover science crazed for six years. <laughs> I, I'm, you know what? I may pitch to him that maybe all three of us need to do that episode. Let's do that then. Let's make that okay. happen. That's the only way. Right. That's the only way I'll ever watch that fucking movie, bro. <laughs> All right, well, I'll, t- I'll talk to Doug about it and, and we'll figure that schedule out because my copy literally arrived today. <laughs> you see, didn't see the trailer. No, I I don't know. Oh, did oh like oh yeah. It's, I think it's gonna be it, it could be winter be special if you know what I mean. Well, now now you're now, now I'm song. sold it to you. <laughs> yeah, now I'm in. Now at, at first I was skeptical. Now I'm now I'm a hundred percent in. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, and and thanks to everyone who listened to this. Uh, I had a wonderful time. Like you said, it, it, talking to to people that you love about movies that you love. It's just it's the absolute best. There we go. And I'm not even going to try and top that. Uh, ladies and gents, for the final time in season three, and don't worry, season four is fast approaching. We're going to take about two months off. Um, and towards the end of March, you will get an announcement episode that will tell you what the next director is. It's a short season. Um, I've, I've settled on a director with five movies. So it will take us through... Um, and you know bring us to a nice conclusion for the end of this year before we come back with the big old heavy hitter because I planned that far ahead big old heavy hitter with plenty of movies into 2023 but thank you very much for all the love support and comments that we've had for season 3 and for the last time this season this is Duncan McLeish for Opera Omnia saying bye everyone <laughs>